A meme is an idea, a behavior, a style, or usage that spreads from person to person within a culture. Often memes are amusing or interesting items, uh, like a picture, a caption, a cartoon, a video, or a form of games that spread widely, especially online and through social media. So I'm going to do my part today to do this very thing by sharing a couple of memes with you. And this is non-techie Pastor Daryl that is doing this today. Now, please know, our, uh, we are live streaming this service, so I'm going to it's going to get sent out online, and it's going to be uh, copied, this service today, and it's going to be posted early this week, so we're going to spread it in person and also online. So here's the first meme. Pastor Nathan is with almost 100 youth pastors at the Unite Conference, and uh, here's how you can tell a youth pastor from a senior pastor. You see that? Cleanly shaven on the sides, and then I had a full head of hair when I came to pastor here. Pastor James, when he saw this meme, he's like, oh, I can't get that image out of my head. Well, I don't know if you've seen the meme about the 10 seasons of the Twin Ports. Season number one is winter. Then number two is false winter. Number three is second winter. Are you noticing a pattern here? Number four is the spring of deception. Number five is third winter. Number six is mud season. Number seven is actual spring, which is really pretty short, a couple of weeks long. Uh, then number eight is where you find yourself right now. It's road construction and mosquito season. Number nine is fake fall. And number 10 is pre-winter. Believe it or not, our weather has made it difficult for us to recruit a new associate pastor to this position we have vacant since Pastor Kerry uh, departed 14 months ago. One applicant of a resume that was forwarded to us through a search agency, which this individual paid a fee to and submitted the resume to, and then we paid to use this service, uh, they submitted it to us because we were a church that fit the interest that this person has. And we, of course, checked out the resume, checked out the references, checked out, uh, you know, creeped online and watched this person leading worship in their church services where they're serving. And uh, we decided we want to interview this person. So a contact was made, and this individual had a very short, terse response. I am not interested in serving a church in northwestern Wisconsin. You know, it used to be that pastors went to where they were called, just like missionaries and Christian educators do. Now it's about pastors' likes and dislikes more than anything else. And who would ever want to be called to cold, rural northern Wisconsin, a church that's there? Well, one thing that is required in living here is patience because weather can be cold for extended periods of time. We live next to the largest body of fresh water, freshwater lake in the entire world, and it definitely impacts our weather. It takes a long time to cool that massive body of water down in the fall and in the winter to make ice on that lake. In fact, it's only iced completely over uh, less than a handful of times in the last 100 years. But then when it is iced over, or when the water is very cold, it takes a long time to warm that body of water up. And uh, so the ice can melt away. Earlier this summer, I was helping one of my brothers who lives only two miles from Lake Superior on some projects at his house. It was a hot day. 
80 plus degrees, humid, we're sweating like crazy, we're pounding the water, we got a lot of things done that we wanted to get done. Then we jumped on the four-wheelers and we're going to head down to Lake Superior. And we got one half mile from his place he lives and it went from 80-something hot and humid to in the 40s. Woo! I mean, we literally hit the brakes and pulled over. Of course, we've done this many times, so we put our hoodies on that we had and then we continued on with the rest of our activities. Did you know that one of the biblical definitions for patience is long-suffering? The capacity to endure, to wait, to persevere, to work for a long extended period of time for a better outcome. Well, today we are told in God's great love chapter, in God's definition of love, that this unconditional highest form of love, agape love, is patient. Right out of the gate, we are told that the premier expression of love is patience. Now, this is the exact opposite of being short-tempered. And the word, Greek word for patience here is the Greek word macrophemia. In fact, it should take a lot, and it should take a long time for us to get upset with others. And yes, we need patience when it comes to the circumstances of life. Look how frustrated we get right now having to drive through Duluth, Minnesota. And it always fascinates me that they do all the connecting works and roads all at the same time. I mean, isn't it crazy? It can take 20 to 30 minutes longer to get anywhere you want to go. And boy, is it easy now to spot all the poor drivers out there. I mean, you know, the ones that are just putzing along, you know, sometimes don't even drive the speed limit. It's a Sunday drive. We're just, hey, we're out for the day. And, and they got all the time in the world. And, and what happens if you miss a stoplight? Or if you get behind a semi like I did the other day on East 2nd, right before you go up the Blotnick Bridge and at the stop and, and it's a one lane. I follow that semi, putts in five, ten miles an hour up the high bridge and then on Garfield. And it wasn't until I got on 21st Avenue that I could get ahead of them. And you know what? We bring all this anxiety and stress home with us at the end of the day. Years ago in America, if you missed the stagecoach for a ride or if you missed the Pony Express to mail something, you had to wait a week or two for it to come around again. Now, if our internet is down for five minutes, five minutes, or if our next day delivery doesn't show up on schedule, we get all bent out of shape. Yes, we need to learn to be patient with many of our life circumstances. But 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 is denoting patience with people rather than with our circumstances. And often in the Bible, the concept of patience is in reference to God's character. It's in reference to God's conduct. In fact, it points out patience as being a godlike quality, as an expression of love's self-restraint. Now, in the book of Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, it speaks of God's wrath being revealed against people who suppress the truth. In verses 21 through 23, we learn that the core issue is that people have given themselves over to idolatry. They're worshiping some part of creation instead of worshiping the creator themselves. And so God says, fine, just let them go in their sin. Well, in Romans chapter 1, we pick it up in verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. 
They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they, do not, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Now, I want you to notice, uh, first of all, that sounds like our, our evening news, doesn't it? That sounds like what's going on in our culture right now. But I also want you to notice now, as we go to chapter 2, that this now is addressing righteous people who have this tendency, this pension, to look down their noses at such sinful people. And it says here in chapter 2, who are you to pass judgment? In so doing, aren't what you're really doing judging yourself? Do you think that you can actually get away with doing that? Do you think you can escape God's judgment? And look at verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance, and patience? Contempt for the riches of God's patience. Not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God is patient with us, and He's patient with us for our own good. It's for our benefit so that we can turn from our sinful ways and turn to God. Now, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 also is a similar text. And it says, in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. Where is the coming? He promised. Even our ancestors died and everything goes on as it has since creation. Well, you keep telling me Jesus is coming back. Well, I get up every day and the sun rises and in the evening the sun sets and the moon shines at night and it rains and it snows and seasons come and seasons go and my loved ones have passed on and ancestors have died and where's this coming? Where's it coming? Verse 8 goes on. It's talking about God not being bound by time here. Do not forget that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And then the climax here, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This, friends, is right in line with the teaching of the entire Old Testament as well. In numerous places it says that the Lord is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger abounding in love. Being slow to anger is one of the Bible's definitions of patience. And is God patient with you? Take a closer look at your life, and I, will believe, I believe you will see just how patient God is with you. Have you ever misused God's name? Have you ever, mis, have you ever taken God's name in vain? Have you ever gossiped about someone? Have you ever used harsh language on people? Have you ever took racist actions or made bigoted remarks? Have you ever been ungrateful? Have you ever lied? Have you ever had a temper tantrum or felt sorry for yourself or had your own little pity party? Have you ever been critical of others? How about, have you ever been critical of God? Have you ever questioned God and what God was doing and how you felt God should be doing something uh, differently and managing the situation differently? Have you ever broke a promise? Have you ever doubted? Have you ever lacked faith? Have you ever not prayed? Have you ever avoided your devotions? Have you ever laughed at someone else's expense? Have you belittled them? 
Have you ever made fun of them? Have you ever let someone down? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever misrepresented yourself? Have you ever sexually sinned? Have you ever drank too much? Have you ever spent in a whole day indulging on social media or playing video games ad nauseum? Have you ever eaten too much? Have you ever slandered someone or coveted what they have? Have you ever expressed greed or, or acted greedily? Have you ever just gotten over the top with consumption and, and materialism? you ever disciplined someone harshly? Ever not tithe? Ever withhold generous, faithful giving from the Lord, the Lord's work, His church, His servants? Ever turn away from a brother or sister in need? Ever not care for the less fortunate, the immigrant, the orphan, the widows, the aliens? Ever not care or even think too much of the persecuted church or the third world church? Ever get self-righteous, legalistic, proud, and arrogant? You can see we could do this all day long. So let me ask you, is God patient with us or what? And does God have ample reason to walk away from every single one of us? God could take everything from us in a Job-like instant, just like that. But God hasn't, because God is patient with us. This is why God's definition of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, at the very head of it, in the convoy of love, is patience. And the Greek word here figuratively means taking a long time to boil. In other words, what we have to do is lower the temperature in our lives. Don't go through our lives with our burners all pegged on high, on high heat. Now, this doesn't mean that we go through life and are ignorant of what's really happening around us. That we're naive and, you know, well, you know, if I'm just naive, it'll make everything else better. Or it doesn't mean that we ignore inappropriate behavior from others and those around us. Or that we just put our head in the sand and, and we're going to make it through if we do that. No, you, if you become patient, you will see all the same things. But you'll begin to listen well. You begin to wait you begin to be gracious with people. You'll give people every opportunity to do the right thing or to change in those circumstances. See, people who are loving learn to play the long game by lowering the temperature in the room and lowering the temperature in their own lives. A recent study uh, regarding hostility between people in America right now was absolutely fascinating. Because of COVID, because of the political tensions, because of the racial tensions, the economic and class issues going on in our country, people are at each other's throats. And they studied people and they noticed that people that watch news every single day and, and even time, sometimes large copious amounts of news and people that spend time on social media and uh, they have more conflict in their lives right now. They are way more edgy. They feel more discouraged. They're more often depressed and they have way more angry outbursts than people who don't. And guess what they, the study also revealed? If these very same people cut back on their news consumption and they cut back on their online and social media time, and if they even fast for, for, from it, their behavior improves, as does their attitudes and their outlook on life. The Bible says it best. Be patient. Love is patient. Lower the temperature 
in your life. And for me, keeping margins in my life is so important. I have to build time into my life to relax more. I need to spend time in the outdoors. I need to have time to putz on personal projects. And when I do that, it puts all the stresses in my life in perspective. It lowers the temperature in my life. There's a reason that patience is part of God's definition of love and why it's at the head of the line. It is a godlike quality, and God is, after all, as we've learned in this series, love. And this, by the way, is why it's also a fruit that is produced in the life of faithful believers by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5 verse 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. That's agape there. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, which is the Greek word kara. The fruit of the Spirit is peace, which is eirene in the Greek language. And the fruit of the Spirit is patience. It's macrothemia. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. And it's one of the fruits that the Holy Spirit of God wants to produce in the life of the believer because that is how God treats us and this is how we should treat one another. Now in our text that was read for us today, one of the sermon texts uh, from Matthew chapter 18 verses 21 through 34, uh, this issue of patience is discussed for us at length. And it's really a parable about forgiveness but of an unmerciful servant here, but it's about patience. And I pick it up for you in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. We're talking millions, multiple, multiple, multiple millions of dollars is what he owed. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, isn't it surprising in this allegory? Because this is an allegory, and the master, the king, is really God, and the servants are God's children, those who are working in God's kingdom. And isn't it interesting that the man pleads for patience, not mercy? He's not asking, be merciful for me. God, have mercy on me. He says, be patient. I know I've screwed up. I know I owe you all of this, but don't be upset with me. Don't let this thing boil over. Give me some time, and I will get this all straightened out. God, be patient with me. You know that word patience there? Only occurs three times in the Gospels. And all three are times that Jesus uses them. And one, it's a rhetorical question that really isn't even translated as patience. So the only two times where it's used in the Gospels, it's used by Jesus, nobody else says it, and it's used to describe patience here on how God treats us and how we should treat one another. It's almost as if Jesus has placed this in extra bold print with extra large font. Jesus reserves this word for basically one occasion in his teaching to drive home an important point that patience is more than a virtue. It's way more than our circumstances. It is how God treats us. Look at verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
How could this servant who had been forgiven such a great debt by his merciful king, uh, and when he pleaded for patience, how could he now be so impatient toward his fellow member of the kingdom who owed him a few bucks? Isn't that something? God has been so merciful to us. He's been so patient with us. And yet we can't be patient with anybody else. The ink wasn't even dry on this debtor exoneration certificate that this man had when he has the other poor man thrown into debtor's prison for a little of nothing. The king's patience with this man's debt made no difference in his life. Does God's patience with you, does it make a difference in your life toward how you treat others or not? For this guy, it was probably viewed as, whew, Wow, that was, I got lucky there. That was fortunate. I dodged a bullet there. This man's get-out-of-jail-free card was perfectly fine to be experienced by him. But it, no one else deserved the same treatment. See, is it perfectly fine for us to enjoy God's patience with us? But we don't want to give patience to anybody else. They don't, they don't deserve it. We deserve it from God, but nobody else deserves it from us. Reverend Max Licato shares the following about Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel. And he invites us to come to Paris, France with him in 1954. Elie Wiesel is a correspondent for a Jewish newspaper. A decade earlier, he was a prisoner in a Jewish concentration camp. A decade after that, he would be known as the author of Night, the Pulitzer Prize winning account of the Holocaust. Eventually, he'll be awarded the Congressional Medal of Achievement and the Nobel Peace Prize. But tonight, Ellie Wiesel, Wiesel is a 26-year-old unknown a newspaper correspondent. He's about to interview the French author, Francois Mariac, who is a devout Christian. And Mariac is France's most recent Nobel laureate for literature and an expert on French political life. Wiesel shows up at Mariac's apartment nervous and chain-smoking, his emotions still frayed from the German horror. His comfort as a writer is still raw. The older Muriak tries to put him at ease. He invites Wiesel in, and the two of them sit in a small room. But before Wiesel can even ask a question, however, Muriak, a staunch Roman Catholic, begins to speak about his favorite subject, Jesus. Wiesel grows uneasy. The name of Jesus is oppressed thumb on his infected wounds. Wiesel tries to reroute the conversations, but he can't. It's as though everything in creation leads back to Jesus. Jerusalem? Jerusalem is where Jesus ministered. The Old Testament? Well, because of Jesus, the Old Testament is enriched by the New. Moriach turns every topic toward the Messiah, and the anger in Wiesel begins to heat. The Christian anti-Semitism that he had grown up with, the layers of grief from Sigier, Auschwitz, and Buchenwald, it all boils over. He puts away his pen, he shuts his notebook, and he stands up angrily. Sir, he said to the still-seated Mariak, you speak of Christ. Christians love to speak of him. The passion of Christ, the agony of Christ, the death of Christ. Is your re in your religion, that's all you speak of. Well, I want you to know 
that 10 years ago, not very far from here, I knew Jewish children, every one of them, who suffered a thousand times more, six million times more than Christ on the cross. And we don't speak about them. Can you understand that, sir? We don't speak about them. Mariach is stunned. Weasel turns and marches out the door. Mariach sits in shock, his woolen blanket still wrapped around him. The young reporter is pressing the elevator button when Mariach appears in the hall. He gently reaches for Weasel's arm. Come back, he implores. Weasel agrees, and the two sit on the sofa. At this point, Mariach begins to weep. He looks at Weasel, but says nothing. Just tears. Weasel starts to apologize, but Muriak will have nothing to do with that. Instead, he urges his young friend to talk. He wants to hear about it. The camps, the trains, the deaths. He asks Weasel why he hasn't put this to paper. And Weasel tells him that the pain is too severe and he's made a vow of silence. And the older man tells him, you need to break that silence and speak out. The evening changed them both. The drama became the soil of a lifelong friendship. They corresponded until Muriak's death in 1970. I owe Francois Muriak my career, Weasel said. And it was Muriak that Weasel sent his first manuscript of night. What if Muriak had kept the door shut. Would anyone have blamed him? Cut by the sharp words of Weasel. He could have become impatient with the angry young man and have been glad to get rid of him. But he didn't. And he wasn't. He reacted decisively, quickly, and lovingly. As the Bible says, he was patient. He was slow to boil. And because of that, one heart begin to heal. Well, God's Word urges us to do the same. God is patient with us so that we can become all that God has intended for us to be. Remember, before love is anything else, love is patient. Would you pray with me, please? God, our Father, we thank you today for your word. And Lord, you have shown us that we should be slow to boil. God, that that's the way you are with us. In fact, God, we shouldn't have all the blessings we have in this life, all the good that we have in our lives. But God, you are the one who is faithful, and you are the one who's patient toward us. And you invite us to express that same love to others around us in a culture right now that's very hostile that's filled with anger. Oh God, may we follow, follow the example of Jesus and the example of people like Francois Mariac who have changed and altered the course of people's lives because they were patient when they needed to be. Oh God, I pray for that in your church and it's in Jesus' name we ask this, amen.